<clears throat> morning, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. High point of my week is to come down here and learn a little out of the Bible. Uh, we have uh, five uh, weeks in December, and the plan is, God willing, to, should the Lord tarry, to uh, go through Micah, the little book of Micah, which is uh, uh, parallel to Isaiah. So if you didn't get Isaiah down, you can catch up a little bit. Today I propose uh, looking with you at the uh, little short letter of Philemon, which you may never have read. I, who has never read Philemon? Oh, uh, maybe that's too embarrassing. <laughs> Shouldn't that, that? All of you have read Philemon, but it's been a while. This is a neat little letter from the Apostle Paul. It's uh, page uh, 1867. It comes just before Hebrews. It's a, a personal letter from Paul, which we're very fortunate survived and made it into our New Testament and part of the canon uh, because it tells us a lot about the heart of this great apostle. Uh, Paul, when he's writing this, is in jail. Most likely he is in Rome uh, under the first imprisonment when he was there uh, under house arrest, uh, meaning that uh, uh, people could come and go and visit him, but he was nevertheless chained to a Roman soldier, to one of the Praetorian guards, eight hours at a shift. Uh, Ray Sedman used to point out that if you, you should not feel sorry for the Apostle Paul during this time period, but for the poor Praetorian guard who had to endure uh, eight hours of Paul's preaching to him uh, every day. The Praetorian Guard were the elite guard in Caesar's palace and, and the, the top rank of soldiers in the Roman army. And very often they were later on appointed to high government posts uh, in remote lands. And, of course, a lot of them became believers and, and uh, thus infiltrated Caesar's household. So it's not good to be chained to the Apostle Paul. Uh, uh, Paul is uh, writing a letter uh, because he's uh, met a, a man named Onesimus, who, who the letter's all about. And Onesimus is, as far as we can tell, is a runaway slave. And um, not only did he run away, but he probably took a lot of loot from his master's house when he left. And Paul's run on to this guy, probably in Rome, and Onesimus has become a believer. And that's just kind of where the story starts. Now, in the Roman Empire, uh, there were about uh, 60 million slaves. Half the population were slaves. It's very, very common to own slaves. And uh, if you were a slave owner, uh, you had absolute right over your slaves to treat them badly or uh, to sell them or to beat them or to kill them. It, there wasn't any big deal. They were just property. And, of course, you can imagine the whole economy is very, very dependent on slave labor of one kind or another. The Romans went out on their raiding and plundering, and, where, and so they took slaves from all classes of, of the nations where they, uh, uh, where they went and conquered. So you could have slaves that were very well educated, make good house tutors, very skilled and experienced, as well as slaves to do manual labor. So the, the, it's, a, it's a culture quite different from ours. 
Okay, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. We're here again reminded that Timothy very often traveled with Paul. Timothy is the young teenager that Paul met on his first missionary journey in Turkey and, and led to the Lord. Uh, uh, Timothy had a, uh, a believing mother and grandmother, and we don't know much, who were Jewish, we don't know much about his father who was apparently absent. But Timothy became Paul's traveling companion, and eventually uh, we have two letters to Timothy, and eventually the, the pastor of the church at Ephesus in uh, in later life. So Paul is, going to, is writing this letter and he, and he opens the letter by mentioning that, that Timothy is with him and he's going to ha- have this letter hand carried to Philemon, his friend Philemon uh, in Colossae, uh, about a thousand miles away, sort of. No easy way to get there. You could go on foot. You could take a boat part of the way. No convenient air service. No, nothing. So it's as usual travel in the Roman world uh, slow, but people traveled a lot. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church of your house. Can't be absolutely sure, but it would appear that that uh, Aphia is the wife of uh, Philemon, and Archippus is probably their grown son, and they have a house church in Colossae, which would be the common kind of church in that time period. So the date on this would be perhaps about 61, 62 uh, uh, A.D., uh, four, three or four years before the apostle was finally martyr, uh, martyred during his second imprisonment. So the letter is going to a fellow Christian whose name is Archippus and his, uh, to, to the church in his house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very typical kind of greeting of the apostle at the beginning of the letter. Now this is a a very interesting letter because of the tactful way that Paul writes it. You see right into the heart of this apostle, this man. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because of the hearts of the saints, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So he starts out saying a lot of nice things that he's heard uh, by word of mouth. It's amazing how the apostle, without email and without the internet, kept track of Christians all over the Roman Empire. Knew a lot of them personally. Uh, was eager to have any news about how they were doing, how their, their fellow Christians were doing. And uh, amazingly, Paul prayed for hundreds of people. We wouldn't pray for the people next down the street at all. We hardly even pray for our own group in today's world. But that wasn't what the apostle was all about. <clears throat> so he uh, is, is full of joy and delighted to, to know uh, Archippus and uh, Aphia and, and Philemon. And he says so right at the beginning of the letter. Before getting to the reason for writing the letter. Uh, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, knowing such a one 
as Paul the old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you on behalf of my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. Now we get the clue that Onesimus has run away uh, from his master, who happens to be Philemon. And so here, I, this is absolutely amazing story that this runaway slave who uh, uh, somehow stumbles onto the Apostle Paul in Rome, and the Apostle Paul leads the guy to the Lord, uh, and now what are we going to do with this runaway slave? Now, in, the, in Deuteronomy, if a slave runs away and takes a sanctuary in the house of uh, in a good Jewish family, you can keep the slave there and give them permanent sanctuary. You're not obligated to send them back to their original owner or master That's in Deuteronomy. Now, Paul, in this case, decides that the right thing to do is to send this runaway slave back to his master and owner. Only problem is, the guy... Uh, is uh, probably was a real jerk. He probably was a lousy slave. He might have stole who knows what. He probably ought to be uh, tortured or killed or punished severely. Uh, and Paul's all aware that it might not go well if you just send this runaway slave back to his owner, who might be have good reason to deal harshly with him. Only problem is, Onesimus has become a believer in Jesus Christ. And how do you handle that? And Paul handles this with the greatest tact, as you'll see. He begins by saying all these nice things uh, about Philemon and his family and his friends. And then he's, the next thing, his next tactic is, I am an apostle and I could command you. You know, I do have authority in the church and I could order you uh, to take this slave back and to treat him right. He says, that's how he starts. He says, I could do that. It says, I, I, uh, I, I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, <laughs> to order you. <laughs> but he says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. And then he says, I, I'm really just an old man. Um, uh, and you know how old men are difficult to get along with. And would you take into account the fact that I'm old and... and uh, <laughs> which is, a, you know, have mercy on me sort of thing. Would you put up with me because I'm an old, cranky old man and I'm in jail now and locked up? So that's his, he's got this incredible psychology here. And, uh, and, and he says, uh, then he says, the next thing he says, oh, by the way, Onesimus is my son in the Lord. That means that I led him to the Lord Jesus, and as far as I'm concerned, he's my son in the faith. So I have a father-son relationship with this runaway slave who belongs to you. So uh, the implication is that you better be careful how you treat this son of mine. And then the name Onesimus is interesting because it means profitable. So, so the, the slave, now that isn't an unusual slave name particularly, but he plays on words. He says, uh, I know that this servant named Profitable was, has become unprofitable for you, uh, but I'd like to send him back in order to reverse that so he could be profitable once again to you. 
So that's what he said. So I'm sending him back. And uh, when you receive him, I want you to consider that you're receiving my own heart. That should make make, uh, Philemon stop and think twice before he crashes down uh, and and vengeance on this runaway slave. Who's going to be the guy carrying the letter, by the way? Uh, Onesimus is going to walk up to his master's house with this scroll from Paul, and and here is Philemon, probably just absolutely furious uh, at this runaway slave, and who knows what kind of financial uh, problems. He could have run off with an awful lot of stuff. We don't know. I'm sending him back. Please receive him. Uh, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me. Uh, he, what he's saying here is that Onesimus is so valuable to me right now, I wish he was my slave and my servant because he's doing all sorts of useful things for me. Paul is under house arrest, uh, but so he can't travel freely, but he can send Onesimus out with letters and he can send him out on errands and go down to Seven uh, Eleven and get supplies and go to... Kmart or wherever you need to to get things. So Onesimus is, is just one of the, the all-purpose slave, and Paul has become very close to him. And he said, I want to keep him with me, and I'd like to keep him with me uh, as if you had delegated him to my service. How's that? As if you had taken your most valuable, loyal slave and loaned him to me indefinitely. That's that's how I feel about this guy. So right now I'm treating him as if he was on loan. I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. <laughs> it enlarges the work of the kingdom, by the way, <laughs> to have Onesimus here with me. How's that for psychology? Uh, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. <laughs> that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. If I were to keep Onesimus here as my servant, I'd at least like to clear it with you. Send you an email if I could or something so that I, that you knew what was going on. But I, reluctantly, I'm going to send the guy back and let you decide firsthand, one-on-one. Okay? Uh, now... <clears throat> We don't, and then the next thing is that his psychology is really good. He says, for perhaps Onesimus departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. He ran away, and when he ran away, he probably stole from you, and he was rebellious, and he wasn't a Christian. But how do we know that that wasn't God's way of bringing him to the Lord? How do we know that maybe God didn't send him over to meet me so that he could become converted and I could send him back to you as the changed man that you always hoped he would be. How's that? So, do you really know why this guy ran away in the first place? Because it's turned out to his benefit and hopefully to yours. <laughs> Look at all that psychology in there. Uh, uh, that you might receive him forever. I'd like you to receive him forever, and this time no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. If he comes home to you now, he is your Christian brother, and you have to treat him as a brother. You cannot treat him as inferior in any way. He is a brother in Christ. So you're on equal footing, even though he returns to your employment. So... 
uh, that he gets that in there. And the hint is that if he does come home and stay there, you're going to have to treat him a lot differently uh, because he's a changed man. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. How's that for psychology? You and I are just partners in the work of the gospel, so I would like you to send Onesimus because he's one of us and he's one of our fellow workers. Sort of levels all the ground right out here, doesn't it? But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Put that on my tab. <laughs> Here's the Apostle Paul. He's probably broke. <laughs> I don't know what his MasterCard of Reads of Balance might be. But he says, I don't care what Onesimus took from you. Put it on my tab and, and I'll, I'll make it up to you. I'll pay you back. If it was $1,000 or $10,000 Charge that to my account. Isn't that, isn't that just a, a, a absolutely a, a incredibly wonderful and gracious of this apostle, this mighty apostle, to say that? He probably has ripped you off big time. Don't worry about it. Uh, when I get, come and see you, uh, we'll set, I'll, I'll pay you. I'll, I'll make it up to you. How's that? <laughs> How in the world is uh, Philemon ever going to turn this that letter down and, and act otherwise? Well, there's even more. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. That's sort of a promise, promissory note. That's what he's doing here. He's signing this promissory note, assuming all the debts that, that uh, this runaway slave may have accumulated and all the wrong he's done. I'll pay it back. There's grace at work abundantly, Right? Yes, brother, yes, brother, <laughs> let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, brother. The way you handle this will be joy to my heart, and I know you're going to handle this one correctly. <laughs> How's that? Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. <laughs> Just amazing. Yes. Oh, oh, I forgot. Thank you for that. I verse nineteen. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Besides, uh, how come, how come you became a Christian, Philemon? Uh, it, was it not through my ministry? Uh, how is it that you're a Christian at all? Uh, well, it's through me, was it not? So, uh, don't you have some kind of obligation to me just because I'm your older brother and I'm <laughs> a little subtle, a little, not too subtle. <laughs> Verse 22, but meanwhile, meanwhile, prepare a guest room for me. Uh, for I trust that through your prayers I will be granted to you. I know you're going to pray, and I'd like you to have the guest room ready, because as soon as I get out of jail, I'm going to come right over and visit you, and of course I'm going to come and visit you and see how you're handling this situation. First hand. A bully? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's kind of... Well, it's a very subtle, gentle, loving guilt trip. though. <laughs> yeah. 
subtle, yeah. <laughs> well, I expect that if Paul if Paul showed up and it was ten thousand dollars, he'd probably take up a collection and say that I uh, I have this uh, assumed this obligation here and I need this money. He'd probably do something like that. We don't. I don't think so. If he did, they disowned it by now. I think. Well, well, we get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So he says, this guy named Epaphras happens to be in jail with me here. Who is Epaphras? Paul spent a lot of time at Ephesus, remember? And uh, most of his time at Ephesus. And uh, from Ephesus, disciples went out and founded the other churches all through Turkey. And one of the churches that got founded by uh, Epaphras was Colossae. And that's the very church that uh, Philemon uh, in, the, in, the, in the same town. So there's another Paul saying, oh, by the way, the founder of your, the guy that brought Christianity to your city and to your home is here right by my side. So, so he's kind of backing me up in what I'm saying to you. How's that? That little more intimidation. And then he says, oh, by the way, uh, Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow laborers are all here with me, and we're doing all this letter together. You know, so how's that? how's that for a list of co-signers on the bottom? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, that's the letter, and that's not all. Yeah. Well, I expect that, that that Philemon and Paul were probably pretty good friends, and there may be a little tongue-in-cheek in this. I don't know. We'll have to ask the principals involved. It occurs to me that this is really good parenting skills. Yeah. Because he's giving them reasons. He's not just saying, do it because I say so. This is right. Now... The New Testament never attacks slavery as an institution, and it never attacks social, the social reform of something as obviously wrong as the Roman slavery was. Yet Roman slavery did collapse with the collapse of the Roman Empire. I wonder why Paul didn't take on the whole case of slavery as wrong and, and release this guy. Uh, in today's society where we don't have the same kind of slavery, do we have anything similar to a slave master? IRS. <laughs> the IRS. Your employer. Yes, your employer is your uh, uh, master, and you have good good employers and bad employers, and yeah. Yes, it could be that that's the, the, the guards. And I think possibly he was being somewhat clever. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, Paul most all the time says that he is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Paul considers himself a slave of Jesus. Uh, are we all slaves? If you decide that you don't want Jesus as your master, then who is your slave owner? <laughs> Sin, the devil, that's Romans 6. Isn't it? We have no choice. You, you work for one master or another. Which master do you want? If you work for Jesus, you will enjoy maximum freedom regardless of your status in society. More than release him. Treat him like a brother. Uh, uh, he's going to be part of the church. Now, there's, there's an appeal here to both parties because this runaway slave has got to learn a whole bunch of new things. How to be loyal, faithful, hardworking, responsible, because slaves could be flaky and they could cheat and steal and... Uh, do a lousy job, and that wouldn't be quite inappropriate for a Christian slave, right? Or a, an employee in an organization uh, that's paying you for your services, correct? So in that sense, we're all slaves and we all have slave owners and masters. Emancipation. Who knows about emancipation of slaves in the Roman Empire? I think you could buy your freedom. Where is it? Anniker would know. Wherever he is. Professor Anniker. He's probably asleep. <laughs> yeah. Onesimus. Isn't that repeated in uh, Colossians 4? Yes. Uh, That's exactly right to call attention to Colossians 3. It comes up in Ephesians again that that, that slaves obey your masters, not only to the masters that are kind and good-hearted, but even to, to masters that are harsh, and that God is overseeing that. And then there's an appeal to slave owners to treat your slaves fairly, and compassionately, yeah. That's a citizenship issue, I think. Yeah, you, you would. What do you can tell us about that, Rick? Buying, you can buy yourself out of slavery. Okay, so you could buy yourself out. Now, if you suppose you were a slave and you got converted and your owner was a uh, Christian, he might very well release you and liberate you. If that would work. Their, 
they they would certainly they uh, the, the advantage of being a slave would be that you'd get free room and board and probably a little compensation in it and a culture where you might have a hard time earning a living otherwise. Yes. Yeah, that's this poor Onesimus has got a thousand mile journey with this letter praying and he's a new, probably a fairly new Christian and what's going to happen to me and and all the guilt of the things he's done wrong, what a lousy slave he's been, uh, what a kind and generous master he was serving, how what a bad thing I've done to rip this guy off to run away. Wait a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. The principle of oh. I don't know. Not often. No, I don't think very often at all. Now, there's a little something fun about this letter. And I, I, which I've heard, I heard this years ago, and then I found that F.F. F. Bruce adds a great deal of weight to the following anecdote that, that, that adds a little bit. If we are talking about the year 62, approximately, the persecutions by the Caesars continued for quite a while, in fact, down to the time of Constantine. In the year 110, that might be about 50 years later, uh, the bishop down in Antioch of Syria, who is a man named Ignatius, uh, happened to be uh, uh, visited by Trajan, the emperor, who came down there visiting him and didn't like him and ordered him sent off to Rome to be thrown to the wild beasts in the, in the stadium. Uh, that was what the Roman empires were doing with prominent Christians in those days. And so... Uh, uh, Ignatius uh, set off on his journey, um, and while he was on the journey, he wrote a bunch of letters, and those letters survive today, or most of them do. And when he got up to Izmir, the Turkish port, which was ancient Smyrna, he wrote a letter to Ephesus, long letter to Ephesus, and he writes to the bishop of Ephesus by name. Who do you suppose the bishop in Ephesus is? Onesimus. Is it the same Onesimus? Well, we can't be sure, but in his letter, Ignatius uses that same play on words about useful, useless that Paul has. So it's not unlikely that Onesimus, this runaway slave, came back to his master, was reconciled, uh, to his master, uh, rose in prominence in the church in Colossae, eventually ended up over as the pastor in Ephesus, uh, the big major church in, in uh, Turkey at the time, Western Turkey at that time, and eventually became the kind of the bishop. How would that be for the runaway slave that Paul led to the Lord? And you can imagine while he was with Paul, do you suppose Paul taught him a lot about the Bible and discipled him and gave him a lot of information? Do you suppose he went back and contributed to the church in Colossae? Uh, and and do we can we imagine, therefore, that his master did take him back and did do what Paul says? Probably. Probably so. Now, there's another little uh, interesting uh, historical note that's added on here. 
As far as we know, the first time that all of Paul's letters were collected together into a collection was done at Ephesus by a guy named Onesimus. Why would this letter be in our Bibles today if it hadn't been terribly important to somebody? Like Onesimus. <laughs> Otherwise, could it not have been lost very, very easily? A little insignificant, little one-page letter like this. Lost, not in our Bibles? Yeah. So that would seem to be, can't prove it, but that seems, that's what F.F. F. Bruce says is the very likely. Bruce is very reliable. So that's very likely what happened. This runaway slave uh, did go back to his master, was received by his master, restored, uh, grew, contributed. Paul probably came back there, visited, hung out. And um, these early men who had been with the apostles, of course, became the next generation of patriarchs of the church, the fathers of the church. So it wouldn't surprise you that Onesimus was, in fact, this bishop. Now, probably a man in his 70s or 80s by the time that, that Ignatius came through. Ignatius went on through town and ended up over in Rome and got thrown to the wild beasts in the, in the Colosseum and killed. But we do have his letters. You can find them on the Internet if you want to go read his letter to Ephesus, which is kind of wordy and lengthy. But he mentions Onesimus over and over and over again. And, uh, and it would seem very likely that it's the same guy. So this, the whole package makes a really interesting little glimpse into the first century, into the heart of the apostle, into the Christian community, into the family nature of the Christian community, taking care of one another, into the fact that in Christ there's no division between slave and free at all, that, we, that we're brothers and sisters together, so nobody's over anybody, nobody owns anybody. And as somebody said, this is probably good advice for parents, <laughs> runaway, runaway sons and daughters. Neat little letter, isn't it? Don't attack the institution of slavery. We'd all admit that the institution of slavery is wrong, but rather than just coming on with a big social demonstration or a tirade against the institution, he says, look, if you're a slave, you be the best possible slave you can be, and if you're a slave owner, be the best possible slave owner, because ultimately we're all slaves to Christ. That's the overall argument. So be the best possible slave you can be. It's all about obedience, yeah. It is, yeah. Do you see just how drenched in grace this is? How drenched the, everything in here is in, uh, in, 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 in... All the parties involved are, are invited to respond graciously. Good little letter. Much, these little tiny little short books in the Bible sometimes are absolute gems of faith. And most of us have people working for us or we work for somebody. So if you happen to be working for somebody, don't be a slouch. Put in a good honest day's work. Be responsible. Be honest. Be a good Christian example to your employer even if your employer is a, a crook or a um, works for the mafia or whatever. 
Yes. What does it mean to be Christ's slave? Uh, Romans 6, remember, is the key passage on this whole thing, where Paul uh, makes uh, it so clear that uh, we are slaves by nature, that God created us to serve some master. That if you serve sin, sin is a very harsh taskmaster who will lead you to death and destruction and emptiness. And that's the default slave owner is sin. If, on the other hand, you choose to let Jesus be your slave owner and your master, that's the path of maximum liberty for you. That, the, what Paul says in Romans 8 is the glorious liberty of the sons of God. It's a really strange thing that you could be owned by Jesus. That you could call him your, your absolute master, and the, the end result of that is, is the maximum possible liberty you could ever imagine. Just incredible liberty which is uh, really interesting. I think this makes Christianity seems very unattractive to people when they hear Lord and Master. And they think that Jesus is going to order him around and and make your life boring and dull and uninteresting and uh, take away all your freedom when he does exactly the opposite. When he fulfills your individuality. And uh, uh, how did Jesus grow up, by the way? He grew up working for his father and supporting the family, probably after Joseph died. And what about the whole Gospel of Mark? The whole Gospel of Mark is about, the, about Jesus as the servant, the ox, the servant. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercised authority over them. But it must not be so among you. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all, and whoever would be uh, the greatest must be the, the, the servant of all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And that's really awesome that the creator of the universe should come down and wait on us hand and feet, and he will do that when you're in subjection to him. He serves you, which is just an incredible, mind-blowing thing. The condition would be, are you under his, have you subjected yourself to him? It says right in front of this room next door to us that you are not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So who owns you? Who, 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 who purchased you at great cost? Not gold or silver, but with his own blood. Who redeemed, re, redeemed you? To redeem is to recover lost property and put it back into the hands of the rightful owner again. Served. We serve. What does it mean to be served? Well, there's a good one. How about somebody answering that definitively for us here? Comment. What does it mean to be served by Jesus? Yeah, what does that mean? Does Jesus serve you? He answers your prayers, yes. He cleanses you, yep. 
What, the beginning of the Last Supper. Here's the, the last meal Jesus is having with his disciples. And he starts by uh, girding himself with a towel and washing the feet of the disciples and, and getting them all upset. Because they think it should be the other way around. And he says, no, that's, this is the way I want you to live from now on because that's how I do things. <laughs> Good. Okay. His righteousness clothes us. It, that's that's where our, our credibility and our integrity comes from. He prays for us all night long. Jesus was up all night long interceding for us while you were sleeping. He's gone to prepare. He's busy on a construction program, getting a whole big city built for us. Yeah. His peace. And uh, if he is the model servant, then... Uh, we demonstrate our uh, service to him by serving one another, by giving ourselves to one another, by meeting one another's needs. That how it works. In due time, you will reap if you faint not. Yes, and that's no no fainting. Yes. Okay, that's a, it, yeah. In as much as we are slaves either of Christ or Satan, I recall Bob Rowe used to say, you can't say no to your master. And either Jesus is master, and we must do what he says if he's our master. Because if we don't, he's no longer our that's right. That's great. Because Satan, when Satan's your master, he compels you to go down his crooked path to destruction. You haven't got any choice, and you can't do anything about it. And we, somebody else, uh, John. Overjoyed. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, because uh, uh, Philemon may have been very wealthy. He may have had a lot of authority. He might have had a, 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 a. He could have been just a little bit crusty, maybe on the surface, and and uh, and needed a little disarming. In a in a loving way, we don't know. We we'll have to talk to these guys, see if we can get invited over to their house. Isaiah's. Thank you. You know, uh, you have a nice, loud, godly voice, Bob. Would you pray for us in closing today? Amen. Okay.